Welcome to the Bow Church podcast. In this episode, on Trinity Sunday, Tim May talks about the reality of our faith as Christians, how we celebrate God who is three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Yes, it is indeed Trinity Sunday. Uh, Something, uh, an idea, almost entirely intimidating to preach about, Uh, but a wonderful gift. The reality of our faith is that we celebrate God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. This morning, I want to talk about the reality of the Trinity, the experience of the Trinity, and the good news of the Trinity, the good news of the Trinity for our world, for this church, and for each other. The first audiences of Jesus' words were Jews. And Jews were infamous at the time because they only believed in one God. They were persecuted at times, even mocked because of this idea of just one God. It was more normal. It was the the normal of, of different cultures at the time to have many gods. The Romans who ruled at the time, the whole of Europe and and Asia, they had gods for everything. Gods for war, gods for peace, gods for your home, gods for fertility. And the Jews were quite unique in just this, this one God. Jesus acted like God and confused everyone and ultimately demonstrated himself to be God. But here's the catch, he also spoke to God. This left people fairly confused, heads scratching. In one sense, before things get constructed back together, Jesus deconstructs the idea of God. In fact, he kind of sabotages people's ideas of God at the time. Both the Jews that heard him and the Romans would have been confused by what I have just said. Jesus particularly sabotages the idea of God as out there and absent, away from everything, hermetically sealed in an eternal other world, a blob, a sort of timeless nothingness. That idea comes clashing together with this man, Jesus. The disciples were confused. They they knew him. The greatest revelation and and discovery of the New Testament was that Jesus was God, but the foundational reality of those that wrote the New Testament was that he was human, because they knew Jesus, they walked with him, they talked with him, they smelled him, they ate food and probably smelled it on his breath later that night when they hugged him tonight. This was a human, a real life. The idea of the Trinity just for a moment before it all gets put back together, deconstructs all kinds of other ideas of God that might be out there floating in our minds. And those trying to make sense of this, those still with their eyes kind of stunned by what they had experienced, start to try and put what had happened to them down, and that's the writings of the New Testament. They would have been stunned. I don't know if you like football, but last night, Champions League final. Chelsea won. Shocking. Woke up this morning. If you were were a Chelsea player or Chelsea fan, probably amazed at what had just happened. If you were a Man City fan, devastated by what would have just happened. The first disciples, and we read about them last week at the time of Pentecost, lived between that amazement and that devastation. Their ideas of God totally turned on their head. Their best friend crucified and then returned. This is kind of like theological terrorism. 
to say that that man was God. And this amazed, stunned group of people reflected on what exactly had just happened. This man that walked with us, that did the things that only God can do, forgave sins, healed the sick, died, then rose again. What, what was this about? And, and, and eventually, the, the understanding that, that, that this man who spoke to God, not just to God as absent, but to God as Father, and used the word, the first century word, Daddy. Spoke to God in intimate connection and never without the power of the Holy Spirit. This God, they try and put into words and they struggle. Ultimately, the New Testament reveals that God is is not an absent other, but is more like a, a happening, more like an event, as one writer said, more like a kiss or a train wreck. God is not a sort of a nothingness, but is a person, a living, active thing, an event amongst us taking time but free from time, able to do things that that only the one who is infinitely free can do, but also kneels and washes the feet of humanity. This God is what makes the first disciples go, wow, and want to worship. God is what is happening between Jesus and the Father by the Spirit that they share. God is what is happening between Jesus and his Father by the Spirit that they share. And that sentence is a mouthful, which is why after a while, and it's about 130 years after Jesus, the word Trinity is used as shorthand, effectively, for this wow experience that the first disciples experienced. And and these kind of lofty, incredible ideas, Trinity becomes a, a helpful shorthand word by about the end of the second century, that by the end of the fourth century is normal, because it's quite a sentence. God is quite a sentence. It's a lot to try and put all that I've just said into words. Trinity is shorthand for God. That's the reality of it. But I want to talk about the experience of it. So there's never been a time when when this idea of Trinity has been known outside of Christian community. There's never been a time when this idea of Trinity has not been known outside of the experience of worship. You might almost say that worship is a special type of knowledge to know what I've just been talking about. There's only so much that you can put into words, and and knowledge takes you so far. But the Christian story has only known this idea of Trinity within the context of, wow, (laughs) within the context of what just happened. Worship is the access that we have to the Trinity. It's the inheritance that the church has, that thing that's slightly kind of like overflowing knowledge. In fact, that's something that the Apostle Paul talks about. Overflowing knowledge. This is more than just data. This is experience. What does it look like? What does it feel like? Well, someone else later, a few centuries later, tried to put it into words. Uh, St. John of Damascus in the 8th century. He was trying to think, you know, this, this is just so much to try and get your head around, that God from all time is, is three persons, but one unified being. How, how do you even experience How do you try and describe that? In fact, this is so different to everybody else's idea of God. And he uses this word perichoresis. And perichoresis is a kind of, at the time, an equivalent, perhaps, you could say, of a kind of Kaylee barn dance situation. It was a circular dance in that you start off slow and depending on on kind of how much wine you've had, you sort of speed up and get a bit dizzy and start to kind of move around. And the circle moves faster and faster 
I don't know if you've ever been in that environment, dancing, where it just gets faster and faster, and you get kind of caught up in something. And in the crowd, in this great swelling circle, you suddenly, you see Chantel. And the moment you see Chantel, she's gone. You're like, oh, it's Andy. It's Simon. It's Demiser. It's James. It's Juliet. It's Chantel again. You can distinctly pick out the people that you're with, but there's something greater going on. He said, that's what it's like. This is like a divine cosmic barn dance, or Kaylee, or whatever form of dancing you like. A spinning, dynamic event, a happening like a kiss or a train wreck, not a piece of data on a textbook. It is in worship that we experience this God, this movement, this action, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, distinct, particular persons with a name, Jesus Jesus wasn't, you know, a title, it was his first name. Jesus of Nazareth, a particular person. But the moment you locate within the Trinity, one, you see that the Trinity points you to the other. Because for all time, before all time, with all time, and beyond all time, the God is always the God who is the Father, Son, and Spirit. There's never a point at which that isn't the case. There's never a point in which the Spirit doesn't point to Jesus and Jesus doesn't point to the Father and the Father doesn't point to the Spirit. And so the experience of it, the experience of it is to be brought into the center of the dance. You know that I, I basically have two gears, not dancing or being a maniac. I don't really know how to do the middle gears. And in fact, in a lot of life, my wife says that I don't really have any middle gears. So I actually don't like to dance. I sort of, sort of stand on the edge and I think, oh, I don't really want to do it. I don't really want to do it. And if I do it, I kind of go, I go, I go and go big. Uh, but there's that moment before where you just don't want to do it. And what you need is that sort of persistent pull, don't you? That annoying friend that you will thank later, but comes and grabs you. Come and dance, come and dance. You're like, no, 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 I've got a drink, I've got a drink. I don't want to dance. Come and dance, come and dance. Like, really? I want to finish my drink. But they win eventually. That kind of persistence. I reckon Andy's one of these people. Andy could convince you to dance. I'm sure Andy could convince you to dance. They just persuade you. And then once you're in, you love it. That's the spirit. The spirit woos us. One of the words for the spirit is the one that comes alongside and, and convinces us, awakens our senses, our mind, our heart to something more than ourselves. We see great beauty, great art, great sunsets, and there's something else. We, we want to get involved. And the spirit leads us to Jesus. And says, this is the one from all time who has made all things, but came born of a womb with a regional accent. He died and he rose. This is the one who then ascended to the Father and has all authority. Meet Jesus. And Jesus takes us and says, meet my Father from all time who has loved and, and sent the source of all life, come and meet my father. And the father says, go and represent this to the world in the power of the spirit. And where you go, you will discover my inherent creative goodness. And there the spirit will, will, will show you in the people you go to, in the places you go, Jesus. And then Jesus will take you to the Father. And the Father will say, go again in the power of the Spirit. And the Spirit will lead you to Jesus. And then, do you get the circular thing? It's happening. It's an event like a kiss and a train wreck. Not a piece of data in a textbook. The reality of it and the experience of it is a divine dance of love. Knowable. 
but makes you go, wow, wow, what just happened? God is what Jesus is doing between his Father in the power of the Spirit. The shorthand for that, because it's quite a sentence, is Trinity. So what's the good news of this for, for the world and for the church and for each of us here today? I think it, it makes sense and reflects, and I think the calling of the church is to reflect this, this Trinitarian God to the world. Firstly, it makes sense of some of our basic psychological needs. No human flourishes in isolation. We all want to belong and be part of something. But to be dominated, to have your individuality, individuality reduced to less than a person, we call that abuse. We call that racism. We call that prejudice. We call that homophobia. The Trinity holds intention the one and the many. The idea that we can be individuals but, but known because that is who God is and that is how he's made us. And when we reflect this good news to the world, we reflect the reality that's so psychologically inherent in all of us. We don't want to be isolated. We want to belong. We want, I want friends. I want, you want friends too. I want, I want to know people. But I don't want to be abused. I don't want to be coerced. I want to keep my sense of identity. It makes sense of our basic psychological needs. It also says something to say to a divided political landscape. Now, even just take right now, in post-pandemic, post-Brexit Britain, there's a conversation about our united kingdom. Can one thing hold together Wales, Northern Ireland, Scotland, and England? All over the world, there's a division between what it is to be one and what it is to be many. Divisions in countries uh, much more starkly than us. We see this division, of course, most powerfully at the moment right now, most symbolically and most painfully in the Holy Land between Israel and Palestine. We see it at the heart of what it is to be a nation, because there is no one nation. There's just tribes trying to hold something together. We see it in conversations about vaccines. Henry Slade, the English rugby player this week, came out and said, I'm not going to take a vaccine. It's my choice. It's my choice. And then other people write the articles, you're a figure. Don't you have any social responsibility? Don't you care about all of us? Don't you care about what we are as one? You're just putting your needs ahead of the other. How to hold together the one and the many, the world is broken, and we'll never perfectly reflect this. But if, our, if we take that, that job as the church to point to the perfect end of all those stories... We, we start by acknowledging the desire for the one and the many. Perhaps what I want to say is that the unique thing that we can do as the church in reflecting the Trinity is to validate that every human wants to be part of a community, belonging to a bigger, but not to be eradicated, not to be abused. One of the things perhaps we can do as the church in the world is point beyond the tribes that divide. Beyond those sharp distinctions where, where some, you say, Henry Slade is over-prioritizing the, the freedom of the individual. Communism over-prioritizes the many. The church could be a force to always point beyond and validate that both those drives are psychologically in all of us. And that there's a validity to both. And to point to build beyond such tribes. So that's in the world, but what about the church? Well, it's in here too. We're, no, we're, no, we're just a small version of everything I've just spoken about. We're not the same. We're all different. 
We have different preferences of music, of service times, of all these kind of uh, things. We have different preferences. We're all, all individual. But we're one. One by the Spirit. How can we celebrate the diversity and increase the diversity but still hold together unity? It's a miracle. <laughs> But it's what we're called to. So as we start and, and do new services and different things as a church, let's celebrate difference. Let's celebrate distinction, but hold together oneness. And then lastly, for each of us, and I'll land really by looking at the reading for today. Therefore, brothers and sisters, and if you bring it up on, from verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Resurrection, leading to Pentecost that we celebrated last week. The risen Jesus, the one of life, sends his Spirit to bring us life, to overcome the frailty and fragile nature of, of, of humankind, the sinful nature. and gives the Spirit who brings life. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. If you were parentless at the time this was written, you would almost certainly be destined to be a slave in the Roman Empire. Adoption happened, though. Um, Julius Caesar had no obvious heir. And so he adopted Octavian, who became uh, the most famous emperor of all, Emperor Augustus. Can you imagine that moment? Just one day, you're walking around, and you're one person. And then you get adopted by the emperor. And in one moment, you become the inheritor of most of the known world. You become the rightful emperor of Rome. We have been adopted by God. And the word sonship, although it might make us kind of, oh, wouldn't it be better if it was a bit more gender inclusive? The reality is in the culture at the time, it was the sons that got everything. And, and we missed the power that both men and women were adopted, which is to say they, they got sonship, which is to say this is more radical than you could possibly even think of, that men and women adopted by God, receiving sonship, receiving the authority, the rights, and the privilege of being in the family of God, more than the emperor. We, with our brother Jesus, it says in verse 17, we become co-heirs with Christ. The beautiful thing about adoption is that you're chosen. I remember being with uh, a friend who, who they've adopted, and his first adopted um, daughter uh, was just learning to speak. And they would practice open adoption, which meant that he, even before she, she, she could understand, he would say these words. But this was her first moments of verbally being able to understand what was going on. And he said, my daughter, just as he picked her out of the car, this was just doing his chores, picked her out of the car, he said, my darling daughter, your daddy's chosen daughter, I chose you, I love you, I want you. I chose you, I love you, I want you, I picked you, I delight in you. To be adopted is to be chosen, to be desired, to be the delight of heaven.
The Trinity is this divine dance, this heavenly song. And the Spirit draws us in to our brother Jesus. And we are taken to the Father who chooses us and makes us a co-heir and then sends us out to the world and the power of the Spirit to find Jesus in the places we go to be lifted to the Father and then sent again. It's a, it's a dance. We've spoken about the Trinity, the reality of it, the experience of it, the good news of it as we reflect it to a broken world. The good news of it, of it to us as a church, as we do new things in new ways, that we can be diverse, we can do different things, but be united. And the good news for each of us, that you've been chosen by heaven, brought into the family of God, delighted. You've delighted the heart of God in his choice of you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would know that as individuals. The Spirit drawing us into the center of the, the dance. That we would know our co-heirship with Jesus. That we inherit all things with him. And we would know the delight of Father God who has chosen us. And that he would send us now. Let's just wait and be refreshed in silence again by the spirit of Pentecost. The spirit who leads us in this divine happening. Let's just be still. Come Holy Spirit and fill us afresh.